the presentation I did last June was around how to not recreate our own personal trauma histories at work and really centered on that connection between um, how we consciously and unconsciously play out our own patterning in the workplaces and in the companies we design, right? Uh, so that really is, um, that's the first thing that I think all of us as leaders of organizations and leaders of people need to pay attention to. What is unresolved in my own personal history that may be transferred onto my staff, onto my team, literally even into the policies and the structures of my organization. Welcome to Reward, the podcast of The Trust. We are the show specifically for women entrepreneurs who want to build businesses into the multi-million dollar revenues and beyond but especially because we know the reward is much greater than that. I'm Allie Brown, and I'm excited to introduce you to these diverse female leaders from a variety of industries, women making huge impact and who are unwilling to settle for the status quo. On the web, visit jointhetrust.org to learn more about our modern community for forward-thinking seven and eight-figure women entrepreneurs. That's jointhetrust.org. See you there. Now, get ready to enjoy this episode's powerful conversation. I am very excited for this conversation today because I feel like it is um, just so timely with everything going on, uh, not only in the world, but in our own lives. There's this like quickening and pressure and, and it just feels like a pot that's about to boil over. And so on my calendar, when I saw uh, Annie coming up for an interview today, I'm like, this is a great week to have this. Um, and we're recording also the week before Thanksgiving. So add in some family drama and it's a full stew. <laughs> You've got like all this stuff going on. So Annie, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited um, to introduce everyone to you. And, you know, I'm going to let you give a little overview of, of your, your practice and background, if that's okay, because I, I, I prefer it to come from you. Sure. Thank you, Ali. I'm so glad to be here with you too. And yeah, the week feels um, particularly salient, doesn't it? Um, so just by way of introduction, my name is Annie Wright. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, very specifically a trauma therapist. And I own and run two companies. One is my personal brand, uh, psychoeducation online course and training-based business. And the second is an actual brick and mortar therapy center, a trauma-informed therapy center located here in Berkeley, California, where I live, but seeing clients all over California and Florida. And I have a team of 18 clinicians and five administrative staff members there. And every bit of of my work across both of those companies and in the world, whether it's through direct clinical service, the essays I write, the uh, presentations I give, every bit of that work is uh, really centered around supporting individuals who come from relational trauma backgrounds to A, understand that that's what happened to them, and then B, have the right tools and uh, structures to go and transform and heal so that they can do good in the world and stop perpetuating any cycles of abuse. So that's a mm. little bit of who I am and how I do my work in the world. And I, like I said, I'm really excited to be here and having a conversation that feels really important right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's start off by defining trauma because you, you shifted my definition of that through our conversations just at the trust events and things and learning more about it. So Previously, and and maybe because it wasn't discussed so much, I would always think of oh, if someone had trauma, that means they were physically abused or something. You know, they they saw something horrible. I don't know, but you've really expanded the definition in my mind for being open to things we may have experienced or um, 
hurt or, you know, stuff with our parents. Why don't you kind of open up what that means in your world and, and for us, what we should think, be thinking about? Definitely. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I think most people have preconceptions around what trauma is and isn't. A lot of people um, think it's a single incident like a rape or a car crash, and certainly those experiences can be, or they associate trauma with veterans coming home from war. Um, or they think, well, you know, trauma is a very severe set of experiences. It's not what happened to me. But what we know from the field of traumatology and the way that I like to personally define trauma is that trauma is a subjective experience that overwhelms the brain's ability to cope. And when seen through that lens, it starts to really help validate an individual's experience because, of course, trauma can be a discrete event, rape, war, a car crash. <clears throat> crash. It can also be a set of enduring conditions that somebody lives through, whether it's an abusive, neglectful, or very dysfunctional childhood, or a um, grown-up relationship with somebody who has a personality disorder, right? So we can look mm. at trauma through the lens of A, being subjective, and then B, not only one experience, but enduring conditions can also lead to a traumatic experience. And so with mm. a wider lens, many of us usually begin to see our stories and our personal histories more clearly and start to understand how and why we were impacted perhaps the way we were. Mm. I'm making notes of questions to ask you later because sure. it's this topic is just so... When, when Do you find when you start talking about this with people, it just starts going and going and they have <laughs> enlightenment and questions yeah. and... It can. It depends on the person. It can shut a conversation down real fast or it can open oh. up. A <laughs> it's a real, real downer for the cocktail party, right? Okay. Yeah. They'll just walk away. Now let's see what happens next. Dear Lord, I'm trying to have a good night. Yeah. So, you know, you did a brilliant presentation for us. So, so within the trust, I'll share with everyone watching that we have these peer learning sessions and, you know, we, we've had some great topics, everything from wealth building to uh, tax strategies. And then Annie comes along and just, you know, blows our minds with what she wants to share. And it was about relating your, your work, Annie, though, to those of us who are, you know, we're leading people. We're mm -hmm. running businesses. We're out there, you know, doing our best to 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 be successful and make an impact. Let's talk about the connection that there may be there in what we bring from our past and our personal life into the way we work, into the way we lead. I'd love to share some of this with everyone today. Oh yeah, I would I would love to talk about that. Um, the presentation I did last June was around how to not recreate our own personal trauma histories at work and really centered on that connection between um, how we consciously and unconsciously play out our own patterning in the workplaces and in the companies we design, right? Uh, so that really is, um, that's the first thing that I think all of us as leaders of organizations and leaders of people need to pay attention to. What is unresolved in my own personal history that may be transferred onto my staff, onto my team, literally even into the policies and the structures of my organization. So it's a topic I'm super passionate about. But building onto that, there's this reality that beyond taking accountability for our own personal material in the workplace and resolving anything that may be at play for us, there is this 
responsibility that feels like it's growing every single day if we manage team members to support their mental health and well-being in the workplace. I mean, that responsibility has always been there, but recent events in the world seem to be highlighting the acuity of individuals' personal suffering and global suffering even more, putting more pressure on us as leaders to make sure that we are resourced and equipped enough to not only manage our Mm -hmm. own stuff, but then to show up for our employees and also hopefully create trauma-informed workplaces where they can feel safe and well enough despite what's going on in the world around us, which is extensive and enormous and deeply, deeply painful. And then you Mm -hmm. add on to that their own personal histories that might already be painful and triggering and challenging whether or not they come from a trauma background. So I feel really strongly that there's a huge opportunity for us as leaders of seven, eight-figure businesses to not only do our own personal work, because it will certainly increase our own professional success, but the more we do our own personal work, the healthier of an organization we can create for other people to feel safe and held in. So I love this Mm. conversation. I present on it all the time, and I'm happy to answer any questions you have around this. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of interest in this or are people not making the connection? Um, Increasingly. And I think it depends on organizational size. Trauma is one of those words that um, it's a real live wire. There are certain sectors and there are certain sizes of organization who still need to be talked uh, to in terms of employee wellness, right? Or um, HR, And there are Mm -hmm. other organizations, I would say the larger the organization and the more millennial and Gen Z employees within it, the more the word trauma is welcomed and sort of run towards versus, you know, seen as anathema. Mm -hmm. So I think it really depends on uh, the corporation type and sector and size. But in general, as we've seen with DE&I, it is um, increasingly a lens that corporations want to take in terms of um, supporting their managers to support mm-hmm. their people and making sure they're reducing risk, liability, retaining employees. I mean, there's a real impact on corporation and professional bottom lines when they start to take a trauma-informed lens in their workplace culture. Really? Tell me more about that. Well, we have a lot of data that shows, of course, it's more expensive to lose an employee and go out and get another employee versus retaining them. And there's certainly um, a financial risk in terms of legal liability and malpractice when you yourself are um, creating an environment that's unsafe or creating microaggressions in the room that lead your employees to then take legal action. Um, There's also the reality that the younger generations of workers coming up are more concerned about mental health, more concerned about workplace balance, and they're more Mm -hmm. drawn to organizations and corporations. I mean, top talent, right, amongst those generations is more drawn to organizations that take the whole person into account. So you you can look at a lot of different studies from a lot of the top consulting agencies that shows that much like taking a D, E, and I investment and lens, taking a trauma-informed lens will also help the organization's bottom line, as well as of course, improve workplace culture and the individuals within it. Yeah, that's that's so fascinating. Um, let's shift gears back to those of us who are, you know, we're we're running the businesses, and we maybe, you know, it's more of a, a, a smaller size company or team, sure. and we're working directly with everyone. And um, 
you know, first we have to f- probably fix ourselves. <laughs> right. Let's start yeah. with, let's start with that. And then maybe we'll go outward. Cause I'm thinking, gosh, there's so much to talk about here. Why don't we so much to take it about. to right. ourselves? How do we even know that this is something we should look at for ourselves as a business owner and leader? Is it something like absolutely everyone should look at, or are there little like red flags or, um, awareness of patterns or, you know, tell me what we should be looking for. Well, I mean, do I think that everyone should be looking at this? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the same way, I think we should all look at the DEI lens that we hold in our smaller companies. I don't think we'd be remiss to take a look at this. Now, what what predisposes, you know, I think about high risk factors, right? If I put my clinician hat on, I'm like, well, what are the high risk factors that say maybe you really need to look at this more than somebody else? Well, I mean, there's a, there's some known variables. Do you I mean, have- I mean, a... for ourselves too. You you, you get that totally. right? Like ourselves for, okay, before like that's the team. Yeah, yep, ourselves. Exactly okay. exactly what I'm talking about. If you yourself okay. as a CEO or a leader come from a relational trauma history, a history in which you were raised by a mood or personality disordered parent, and or if you experienced any other set of traumatic conditions or experiences throughout your life, whether it was chronic bullying or it was- uh, racial trauma, or it was acute uh, circumstances such as houselessness or food insecurity, etc. If you yourself came from a trauma background, you are predisposed to wanting to take a look at this personally as a leader. You may have unresolved content in your personal history that could unconsciously come out on your staff and even in your policies. For example, right? I often mm. see this, but um, very high functioning individuals can still have unresolved trauma impacts at play. The two things are not mutually exclusive. The neural circuitry that leads us to become professionally and financially and academically successful is really different than the neural circuitry required for um, relational aptitude and emotional regulation. Mm. You can have a brilliant LinkedIn profile. You can have lots of money in the bank. You can be the founder (laughs) of a startup right, or Ivy League educated, and you can have unresolved, let's say, CPTSD symptoms at play. Now, how you you might begin to notice this playing out in your organization, you could have heightened anxiety that's creating a sense of fear within your team around leads and lead generation cycles. Um, You could be feeling, um, well, you could be overworking yourself and overworking your team without really understanding that the way that you're running yourself is is not helpful for your team and you're about to lose employees, right? Mm-hmm. So for anyone who comes from a trauma history, I always say, well, let's take a look. A, let's take a look at you know what's unresolved in your personal past, how that's transferring out into your, your business, into your corporation. So that's one risk factor, I think, that predisposes mm-hmm. people to unconsciously play out their material in their companies. Um, and there are other risk factors too. I think when I take an analysis, a clinical analysis of small companies, and we see employees jumping ship maybe more often than what is normative, that's always a clue to me that something's going on here, even if the individual, the leader doesn't identify with having a trauma background. So those are two mm. of the big factors I always look at. Wow. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm, I'm deciding what to disclose and not for about myself. <laughs> Whether, whether, do I want to go there and look at like what I've done? Um, I, I want to talk about the parental thing for a minute because it, sure. I'm, I'm drawn to it. And then I'm also kind of like, so for many of us, I'm going to venture to say the Gen Xers and those of us who grew up in the seventies too, right? 
I don't know. I think sometimes we look at the things we grew up with and I'm like, well, that was like seventies parenting, right? That like, you, you know, there's just kind of things that like, maybe you had to fend for yourself a lot, you know, the latchkey kids, things like that. And sometimes I, I get, I just wonder, Annie, if we're overanalyzing everything, right? There's that one side, like, are we like making so much out of maybe little things? Like I'm, I start thinking like, oh, my mother said this to me one time and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm going through that process in my mind. On the flip side now, I'm terrified that my par- my kids are going to be sitting here one day having this conversation with you or your daughter one day when she's doing what you do and being saying, my mom <laughs> said mm. this and that, like, I'm, I'm just terrified of doing something wrong with them now. Like I'm going through all these emotions when we talk about this stuff and like how our, but there's no doubt that our upbringing and things that we experienced influenced us. So, you know, where, where do we start? How do we start like acknowledging this and realizing, wow, this could be contributing to patterns in my life and not only my life, but how I'm leading and working with other people. Oh boy. There's a lot here. Um, I just gave you a lot. (laughs) I wish we could have a four hour you, conversation. You pick, you pick and choose where you want to go with that. That's just where my mind's going. Like, you know. Well, I think you're, you're naming really good points that, that, that most of us come to look at, especially when we become parents ourselves. And I'm a mom of a five-year-old daughter. So um, as I have confronted my own personal trauma history and looked at the limitations of the people who are biologically my parents, um, I, I'm also very acutely aware. I don't necessarily act in a completely regulated, perfect way with my own daughter. And here's the thing: I want to say a couple of different things about this. That's okay, right? We're, yeah. we're aiming yeah, yeah. to do better than the generation that came before us. And one of the things that I rely on heavily, day in, day out, and I talk to seriously every single parent I ever meet about, is the concept of the good enough parent from Donald Winnicott. He was a psychoanalyst in the 1950s mm. who really developed this very, very important concept in response, in ab reaction to Freud and Jung, who were making everything the parents' fault. He talked about how it is actually the parent, a good enough parent. There's no such thing as a perfect parent, but there is a concept of a good enough parent who developmentally fails their child in age-appropriate ways, for instance, uh, and, and therefore sets them up for the reality of the world. So what I mean by that is a good enough parent will disappoint and um, frustrate and even anger their child. Like, no, you can't just have ice cream and iPad for dinner tonight. I'm putting the iPad away. Here's the chicken and broccoli, right? Tantrum on the floor. It's actually okay to have them have these very big feelings and to, to you know, fail them, as it were, um, because that's appropriate for the world. The world isn't going to mm. meet them with perfect conditions all the time. And that's very mm-hmm. different than, let's say, a parent who drops a child off in the middle of Florida with no plane ticket at an airport and then just abandons them, right? Like we're talking about developmentally age-appropriate uh, ways to fail a child versus true failure and um, a traumatic experience that would overwhelm that child's ability to cope. So let's mm-hmm. let's then talk about this a little bit too. What makes something traumatic, something that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope? Um, we as parents mess up all the time. I do it on a daily basis. I lose my cool. I'm dysregulated. I'm stressed. Parenting is the hardest thing in the world. You add on to that economic pressures, um, the stress of work. I mean, it's just, it's enormous. It's unrelenting, right? Not to mention our own personal histories. But 
what makes something overwhelming and impossible for a child to metabolize is when they don't have adequate internal supports to metabolize it themselves. And they don't have adequate external supports to come back and help them either repair the rupture that happened or make sense of what just happened to them. So what do I mean by, by this? When we mess up with our kids, go back to them and say, I'm sorry. I really messed up. I've lost my cool. I was so stressed. This is not about you. Help reduce yeah. the likelihood of it becoming an overwhelming and therefore traumatic experience by going back and helping as much as you can to help them metabolize it, make sense of it, and create some sort of relational attachment after the rupture happens. Yeah. That makes me feel so much better. Because I, I already identified one thing. When when I I grew up in a family that never said I'm sorry. You know, mm. we would just like move on. Yeah. And it's so it's making me emotional. Yeah. It's so important when I mess up or or any any of us mess up that we say like I am sorry. And I love that you do that with your daughter. I don't know why it's affecting oh. me so much because I want them to know like I blew it or I messed that up or, and it's so normal for us now. And they'll tell me too, mom, I'm sorry. And I'm like, thank you. You know, and it's the conversation and, and all that. So yeah, but mm. you can get, you know, when you, I think it's these conversations that I do start worrying, like they're going to be sitting here one day and I just have a feeling your daughter's going to do what you do. And they'll be lying in her chair going like my mom, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or she worked all the time. You know, we're all just, um, we're all doing our best. And I think they get it now. You know, they're 10. My twins are 10. And I think they understand a lot more now. But the whole, like, that's a great example of a specific one that just made me feel so much better about, well, you know, bringing them into this world and, and, and raising well-adjusted adults, really, which is kind of your end goal, right? That, that's what you yeah. want for them. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that, Ali. You know, one of the things I always say to, well, I say it in my own little family unit, but I say it to all my clients, to everyone I know, rupture is inevitable. It's the repair that counts. Whenever you get two or more mm. humans together, there are going to be disagreements, there are going to be hurt feelings, there are going to be tempers and fights. That's okay. Mm. As long as we attempt repair with them afterwards, because that is normal and that is natural. So as you model that apology to your kids and say, I really messed up. I was super stressed. I was, oh man, I apologize. You're actually helping them internalize the skill of repairing after rupture, which is certainly going to serve them well in their friendships, their romantic um, attachments in the workplace, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. to this point, everyone, you know, everyone says this, I'm worried my kid will end up in therapy. It's like, awesome. I, I hope everybody has a therapist, you know, and my bar, my baseline is to send my daughter for less than I had to go to therapy for. Right. I mean, the bar was low. Right. So, but I'm still like, if she ends up in therapy, awesome. She'll have a, tr a safe, trusted other to navigate the world with. And parenting is, I think it's a team sport. Like I can't be her single source of everything. I'm limited. Yeah. So, you know, she has me, she has her dad, my husband. I hope she has a therapist and I hope she has her uh, friends, parents and coaches. And I think the more social support a kiddo has, even if it's a paid support, the better to steward them through adolescence and young adulthood. Yeah. Well, we could do a whole other show on the kids, but wow. Sure. It's so cool. Um, Thanks. Going back, let's, let's give people listening, if they're interested in this now, it's kind of piquing their interest. They're thinking, you know, maybe I should explore some things that, you know, maybe they're, they, they want to be a better leader. Maybe they know they have to sort through some things. What, what are the first steps? Well, um, 
I'm trying to be mindful of not wanting to self-promote too much, but you know, on, on the personal brand, on my own personal website, anywright.com. Am I allowed to say that? Am I allowed to direct people to that oh, website? Hello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone go to Annie's site. Cause I, I have, by the way, you don't know this, but I've read, I read your blogs and I read your posts oh, and they're oh, brilliant. So Thank she's you. a lot of great free information there. Yeah. And I, I started that, I started writing, gosh, back in the spring of 2015. And the end goal there was always to provide really high quality psychoeducation information um, for people who may never afford to be able to be in therapy, certainly not with me or maybe even with anyone else or, or they live in countries where therapy is still anathema, right? So um, again, my work is really heavily centered on relational trauma and relational trauma recovery, but it's very common for high functioning female founders and CEOs to identify when I start to talk about relational trauma. And there's always a question that usually comes up like, do I have relational trauma in my background? Go to my website. There's a completely free quiz called, do I come from a relational trauma background? Start with that. It'll then point you to all the best oh. essays so you can begin to see yourself and your personal history a little more clearly. If you do really resonate with it, and maybe you won't, you know, maybe you're like, no, not me. But if you do, I think one of the best things you can possibly do for yourself, your family, and for your company is to get into therapy. I'm, and I do mean with a licensed mental health professional and ideally one who has further trained in trauma treatment modalities. You will waste mm. less time, less money, and you'll see quicker returns in the improvements in your home and the improvements in your mm. company. So um, is that because there's a, there's a, there's a goal or there's a a focus then that should bring a different result versus just lying on the, we think of traditional therapy, lying on the couch for ages, right. And just talking and and not really getting anywhere. So what you're talking about is there, there is a, um, an objective is, is to help heal and shift. Well, I mean, there's certainly an objective to do that too with traditional talk therapy, psychoanalysis, sitting with your therapist, having a long-term relationship. And I do want to, I want to be nuanced in how I give this answer. When our wounds happen early in relationship, it's through relationship that they can be ultimately healed. So uh, if somebody has a long-term depth relationship with a general therapist who's not trained in trauma treatment modalities, that can still be profoundly healing. It just may take more time. By working, however, with a trained trauma therapist who's trained in trauma treatment modalities, like I am an EMDR or trauma-focused CBT or neurofeedback, brain spotting, et cetera, those are bottom-up psychotherapy modalities, meaning they work literally with the body and the brain to help rewire the neural pathways of the brain. So treatment tends Mm. to be faster than talk therapy alone. That combined with a reparative relationship experience really, I believe, heals relational trauma. And um, certainly one of the uh, most common diagnoses, relational trauma is the experience that people move through. The outcome, if we were to give it a clinical name, is usually CPTSD. And trauma treatment therapies are the modality that we begin to use to treat the CPTSD. Mm. Okay. So finding someone like that to help us finding would somebody be a good in start. Your state. Yeah, you can certainly do it via telehealth. It does have to be in your state though. I can work with anyone in California and Florida. My team can as well. But if you live in a different state, um, start by searching psychology today and filter by trauma treatment modalities to find people mm. in your state work with you. So of course, many of us invest heavily into business coaching, um, into continuing education for our companies. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Also get yourself into therapy is what I say to every founder I know. Yeah. I I love that. Um, what's that? 
my case, so it is full of founders, wow. co-founders, really high performing professionals, because they know the more I attend to this, the more that impacts the quality of my work, the growth of my organization, my bottom line. So it's a, it's a wonderful investment. You could actually probably host a great mixer. I know that wouldn't be professional. <laughs> networking. Let's bring them all together and they could, you know, we could all meet each other. Um, I I, I do love, I'd say even 10 years ago, you know, other business women and founders I would meet, you would never say you had a therapist 10 years ago. And now it's, it's like, Oh yeah, who's yours. And you know, mine's up the street and she does this and Oh, it's fantastic because, Oh my gosh. Like I didn't even realize how much I, uh, loved it until, you know, I've spoken about this publicly when I was starting to make some big decisions about my marriage and, and thinking through a lot of heavy things and my mom and putting her in assisted living and everything. I'm like, I, I, I need someone to talk to with no agenda except supporting me. Cause yes. that you do not have that in, cause even a, even a coach, right. And, and, and I can flip to the coach mind cause I do it privately for clients at high levels. Mm-hmm. Even a coach has, you, you know, an agenda in, in holding that highest vision for you and holding you. I mean, the, just literally someone there just for my personal well-being. I've yes. never had that in my life. I mean, then you think like there is no, th- this is the only way to get that. I <laughs> Unless it's an extraordinary friend or something, even just the talking, even just well, the talking. And you have to remember too, I mean, therapists are bound by laws of confidentiality as well, right? So as well-meaning as friends and family can be, like there could be unconscious bias there and there aren't those same Good confidentiality point. agreements, right? So yes. it's not like, you know, patient-doctor relationship. Um, it is a very special kind of relationship where you are the only point of focus and that person's job is to take care of you right? And to be impartial and to help you arrive at the answers that are best and true for you, not mm. their answers, your answers. That's what I always say to my clients. I'm not the expert of you. You are. I'm the expert at yeah. asking the questions or using the tools that will help you connect to your own answers, right? And so, yeah, yeah in that sense, it's a, I think it's a pretty sacred relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just booming. I mean, is, is, are, are there more therapists needed than ever now? Oh my God. We had a therapist shortage before um, the pandemic. And then the pandemic really well brought mental health to the forefront of the conversation. We all know this, right? And I think um, the data, the research I saw last suggests that we're 1.7 million therapists short in the country to meet the mental health demands that there are. And that's a massive shortage. (laughs) When you think about the length of time it takes for someone to go through graduate Mm. school, and through the licensing process, 1.7 million therapists short is, um, you know, it's it's quite a quite a shortage. Now, what role AI can help us, um, you know, play in terms of meeting mental health needs, especially in rural areas, that's a whole separate conversation. But uh, yeah, mm. there's a pretty large need for therapists right now, and not enough not enough people to fulfill that need. Hmm. Annie, let's talk about going to shift gears for a minute and talk about, you know, your career and, you know, going, going into this field and, you know, what, what have been the evolutions and decisions that you've made to go in this direction, um, that have 
gotten you to where you are with you have a very successful practice you you speak mm-hmm. everywhere you you get a lot of uh attention in, in your messages and what you're bringing so let's go through a bit about your background that people may not realize sure well i'm sort of that sort of uh, classic example of what's professional is personal and um the reality is i come from a really egregious childhood abuse background but i didn't know to call it that i thought that's just how it was and it wasn't until, you know, I coped with my own trauma um, through some very adaptive coping mechanisms, uh, workaholism, throwing myself into academics, becoming the first in my family to go to college, let alone the Ivy League. Um, and again, just really excelling on paper. Um, you know, I had an uh, undiagnosed eating disorder for 20 years that went along with that. And yet, you know, I was also really running, running, running from my uh, childhood trauma history. It all caught up with me, though, when I was serving in the Peace Corps in Uzbekistan after Brown. Um, it was a, an example of implicit triggering that happened because of Peace Corps service. I'll talk about that um, in detail some other time. But that's when I started to kind of decompensate and the past caught up. I got myself into healthcare consulting, um, really, frankly, just for the benefits to get some therapy. And then it was there that I learned about Esalen out in California. And so I did this thing that you do oh, yeah. when you're 25 years old, which is like, quit your is job. You, did, you, did you jump in the hot tub naked? I heard like it gets so freaky there. No? <laughs> yeah. Esalen hot tubs are totally, you know, naked. You can wear your bathing suit, but you, you'll be one of the very few people who do. Sorry, my mind just went like, no, it is a yeah, hippie. Totally, oh my gosh. Totally. It's but, a sorry. Part of, sorry. No, it's part of my story. Like I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. So I was so deeply unhappy and my childhood trauma had caught up with me and I was living in Washington, DC and I was desperate for answers. Like what is going on? Why is my life falling apart? Why am I falling apart? Why, why am I not happy? Well, I took a weekend workshop at Esalen called the courage to change your life. It was one weekend I squeezed between um, healthcare consulting clients and in uh, California. And by the end of that weekend, after driving onto the Esalen property, I was the happiest I'd ever been and the clearest I'd ever been that I had to be there. So I quit my job, sold my possessions, had a one-way plane ticket and only $16,000 in savings. One month turned into two there, turned into a year. I got hired on as an extended student, and then I was hired on to full-time staff, helping run the organization and taking classes. I share this because it was there. Oh, go ahead. Do you have a question? Oh, oh I, didn't, I don't think I knew this. You, maybe you yeah. mentioned it at, at yeah. some point. This is fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely a different story, isn't it? Um, it was there that I started to put myself back together. And I, I started to learn that what I lived through was not normal and um, that it could count as childhood abuse. And here were the impacts on me, et cetera. And yet still mm. at that time, I wasn't working with a licensed trauma therapist and nobody was saying to me, relational trauma is the experience you went through. Here's the outcome that it produced. And here's how we get you help. So I say yeah. all this, Ali, and I'm happy to talk more about Esalen, but my entire career is a reaction to nobody having told me the thing earlier on that would have helped me more, quite frankly. Um, and so I began writing and teaching about what relational trauma is, what the outcomes of it can be, and what's required to start to put yourself back together if you've lived through that experience and are experiencing that sort of constellation wow. of symptoms. So I started writing really early on, even when I was still an intern, right? Not fully licensed as a therapist. I mean, I, I, <laughs> at that point, I still thought, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Um, but then, you know, I went to graduate st- school for psychology because it was the thing that made the most meaning uh, to me. And I knew I wanted to amplify this message, this work in the world. So I started writing. My writing started to get picked up by a lot of outlets. A lot of people started resonating with it quite early. 
And then um, I started to get more clients than I could handle. And I thought, okay, well, the next best thing to do is create a center where people can provide the kind of trauma treatment that I would have wanted 20 years ago. So my Mm. work is still, I do um, my clinical work with a very select group of high-end clients. Um, I run my therapy center and I do all of this psychoeducational and training and online coursework in the world, all with the idea of filling the gap of what would have been so helpful for me 20, 25 years ago, right? I mean, I write for younger Annie. I do the work for younger Annie. And it just turns out a lot of people resonate with it. And a lot of people need the work too. Yeah, that's incredible. And congrats. I hope hope you take in, you know, you're helping others all the time. And I just hope you really take in what you've created, you know, both as the mission, but also as um, as a business owner, like you've, you've grown a team to serve more people. You've mm-hmm. figured out how to grow this model and create a very successful company. So I just want to draw everyone's attention to that, that, you. you know, Annie is in the trust cause she's built her organization to this level, which not many, um, yeah. people in your position do, you know, sometimes it's easier to just have the practice by yourself and, you know, lock the door at five and go home. And, you know, you, yeah. it was a decision. Um, and so obviously that decision was linked to your mission and impacting more people. It I, was. I assume that's what got you through all these, like, you know, it's not easy to grow the team and grow the business. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done, you know, and the, and the piece, I'll, thank you, Ali. I, I, I am taking in my accomplishments and and quite frankly, I'll just like, you know, pat myself on the back further. First in my family to go to college, childhood abuse history. Like my mom scrubbed toilets for other people to put food on the table for us when my father left. Right. I now create really high figure, high six figure jobs for other people. I, I literally help impact, you know, other people's lives by providing them benefits, not to mention doing my clinical work. So I'm really proud of what I've done, especially given where I started from. And I, I talk very openly about my story because I want my life to be a model too. Again, you can come from very, very little. And in fact, you can come, you know, like a mile behind the starting line of your peers and you can still create something really extraordinary, especially if you do the personal work. Um, yeah. So thank you for, for naming that. And yes, building this business has been one of the hardest things I have ever done. I always say to people, especially to other entrepreneurs, if you want to know what your personal stuff is, especially what's unresolved, be in long-term romantic relationship or build your own business. And then you'll see your stuff, right? Yep. So yep. I've learned all the lessons. I've had to learn all the lessons growing this company to, I think it's going to be at 3.2 when we close this year. I've had to learn all the lessons and I've had to work on my own stuff every step of the way. And I, I also launched the business when my daughter was three months old. So I've been raising her the last five years too. That's been a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. Um, and it's been such a pleasure to have you in the trust. I have to say, I feel like you're our, um, uh, you know, staff therapist. <laughs> For all of us, when I, I remember seeing when I saw your uh, application come in, I was talking to you the first time, like, oh my God, this is going to be great. Like, we're going to try not to like, you know, overwhelm her, but we're all like, hi, can we talk to you for a minute? And it's, it's been um, just such a, such a pleasure to have you within the group. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I love being part of the group. You know, I think for me, it, I, I don't get to have these conversations with, um, 
I mean, I love the other moms at preschool, et cetera, but none of them necessarily own companies, right? And so the the things that are always in the back of my mind are not the things that are really resonant with a lot of people in my daily life. But when I get together in the room with the women at the trust, there are people who are speaking my language, who are trying to solve the same level of problem, who are thinking um, with the same level of complexity. And it's just been a, a true gift to be in the mm. room and to be having those conversations. And um, I'm just so grateful we connected and that I get to be part of the trust. So my last question, actually, I've, I've I, and then like a, one quick fun question afterwards. I'm just doing a time sure. check. What is the reward for you? I think that the reward for me, and I'm going to interpret this in my own way, because I have to ask myself this on a daily basis. Why do I get up and do nine hour workdays of really hard things all of the time and listen to really hard content and have hard conversations and figure out really big problems? Sometimes I, I have to ask myself this. The reward is I feel like I am truly attempting to maximize my personal potential and I'm leaving an impact on this planet that's one of good versus harm. So that's my reward. This work, this body of work that I'm leaving mm -hmm. behind, that's my legacy as much as my daughter is. So that's who I can, I can feel the emotion coming up to. It, it yeah. will last after I'm gone, my writing, my teaching, all of that. And that's my reward to leave an impact that will help even one person feel less suicidal, less alone, more hopeful, or more equipped. So that's my reward. Mm. There's a reason you're with us on the planet right now, Annie. There's a reason you're here during this time. I just know that so strongly. And I think many, many of us are here um, as light workers, right? We're like do, mm. lead, shining that light, helping others, showing them the way, handling our own stuff on the way too. But I just feel that so strongly about you. So Thank you for the gifts that you give. And I loved seeing the joy in, though I could tell that there's joy in that, in you giving these gifts and helping others. And my last question is so inconsequential, but I have to ask it. So do you have the Esalen kale salad recipe? Are you, do you know oh, what I'm talking God. about? I worked in the Esalen kitchens. I made that dish like 300 <laughs> times. Totally. So I, totally. I, I went to it. Okay. So this is, there's like this story behind the salad and I have to tell it. So, so I... Who was I dating? This was like 2010. I don't even remember who it was. Um, South Bay, this volleyball guy who like lived in a three mile radius. So that's why I didn't work like the volleyball guys in South Beach. And if you're, if you're in LA and you date, you know, you know what happens. Like there's people don't go be at a certain boundary. So we're at his house and his sister brings over this kale salad. And I'm like, stop everything. I was like, I mean, I just like jumped up and I'm like, what, what is this kale salad? She's like, it's the Esalen kale salad. And I said, I mean, I just was like following her around the house. I'm like, you have to give this to me. Where do I find this? And so she sent me the recipe and I make that thing every week, I, the, the Esalen kale salad recipe. And, yeah. and so I'm, I'm thrilled to meet yeah. someone else who knows what it is. You're going to have to put this in the show notes. I mean, like okay. not only do I know what this is, like I made it for the 300 workshop participants at Esalen. So like you make a little salad for your family. I was making like these big trough bowls like, for like the recipe is burned into my brain. And it's, it is definitely one of my show off dishes that I bring to like potlucks or, you know, like oh, people go things. crazy. Like, yeah. yeah well, men, women, like old, young, everyone loves the Esalen kale salad. Okay. Do you have other recipes that you could share that would be good? I, yeah. The, the other ones aren't as great, but totally I'll share mm. it with you when we get together at the next meeting. 
Okay, we're gonna and we're gonna put a link in the show notes. I know it's out there somewhere, but uh, yeah, that's a game changer. Okay. So I just had so, to ask, and I can't. Well, we'll I'll ask you more excellent questions, like things. at the cocktail. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> I will. I will throw one other thing in here. So not only did Esalen kind of like give me kale salad and help me sort of put myself back together, and you know, put me on my career directory. It is also where I met my husband, Kyle. He was also working and living at Esalen at the time. So we're one of those Aww. rare examples of um, an Esalen couple that has endured. And we have our, our kid is an Esalen child. So it, it definitely baby. is. A place. It, she's an Esalen baby. And so I would definitely encourage anyone to go visit Esalen. It's, it's such a magical gift to give to yourself to take a workshop there and just be on those Big Sur coastal acres. It really is a magical place in the world. Yeah. So cool. All right. I loved ending with the salad. That was awesome. <laughs> Annie, thank you. And give out your website one more time where people can go take that quiz. Sure. That sounds great. Sure. So my personal website is anniewright.com. And if you live in California or in Florida and you're thinking you might want to explore trauma therapy, my center is evergreencounseling.com. And we'd love to hear from you there. Okay. I think we'll get some inquiries. All right. Thanks, Annie. You're welcome. Take Allie. care. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Subscribe now to the Reward Podcast to be sure to not miss an episode. And don't forget to visit jointhetrust.org to learn more about our modern community for forward-thinking seven- and eight-figure women entrepreneurs. You can learn more, apply to join us, or refer another woman you know who is over the million-dollar mark and is ready for a different type of women's network. We have events coming up both live and online that are truly creating new possibilities for female leaders. That's jointhetrust.org. See you there.